All right, everyone, welcome. Let's get started. Uh, we need to have a special time of prayer of lamentation, especially for this table here. Time of mourning. It's usually a month-long period. We're going to get some ashes. Jersey's made of sackcloth, right? <laughs> Ceremonially send it up to the Lord and bring it. So, people watching the video have no idea if they're not from Carolina. They're like, what are they talking about? They're wearing jerseys of the Panthers. So, uh, we're going to jump into Leviticus chapter 4 today. Before we do, I want to let you know, <clears throat> I, there's a cool fundraiser that my the martial arts place that I train at does every year. We raise money for Levine's Children's Hospital. We do an event called Kicking Out Cancer. And we have the uh, kids come and they get sponsors, how many kicks they can do in four minutes. Um, they want to include the adults, those of us that do jiu-jitsu that are too old to be kicking things a lot. Um, and so what we're going to be doing, the adult, uh, the jiu-jitsu guys are going to be doing tapping out cancer. And basically we're going to do as many uh, submissions, armbar submissions as we can do in four minutes. And what uh, I'm looking for people who would be willing to sponsor a quarter per armbar, nickel, ten dollars if you're wealthy. Um, whatever you want to do, but come talk to me afterwards. This is one of the ways that we raise money. It's really cool every year because we're able to take uh, all the proceeds. We don't they go straight to Levine's. In fact, we do the event, call up the people that donated or that sponsored and said, hey, this is how many I did. And then they write a check directly to Levine and we put them all in an envelope and take them and deliver them over there. So it's a really fun way to um, get the community involved in helping out <clears throat> some uh, a much needed cause. Everybody in here has been touched in some way by cancer. Uh, it's a terrible, terrible thing. So anything we can do to help fight it, we want to do that as well. So uh, just see me afterwards if you're interested in that. It would be awesome. <clears throat> Let's get into some Leviticus here. We've done the first three chapters now. We are in the book of Leviticus, which is about the sacrificial system that takes place within the tabernacle through the priesthood. The tabernacle, again, is a portable miniature symbolic version of Mount Sinai. So it has layers of holiness that symbolize the uh, mountain that goes up to God at the top. And so the, the tabernacle, you have the outer courts, and then you have the tabernacle itself, and then within the tabernacle, you have the holy place. And so it's like these concentric rings of holiness, and God's presence radiates outward, and sin affects inward. And that's kind of how it works. The priests are, are literally camped out around the tabernacle as a buffer between God's holiness, which radiates outwards, and the people's sin, which contaminates inward. That's the visual image that God's giving through this whole setup. And what he's doing is he's painting a picture of the many ways in which sin works throughout the world. You think of sin as just, I did something bad. Well, yeah, that's classified as sin, but that's not all it is. First time sin was ever mentioned, if you remember way, 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 way back in Genesis 3, sin was mentioned. It was mentioned as an active predatory animal force. Uh, it was mentioned as uh, being, excuse me, Genesis 4, crouching at the door of Cain, wanting to devour him, wanting to take over him, wanting to, to uh, consume him. 
and that's the image that, that you see. You can trace that strand all the way throughout Scripture. That sin is this—it's—it's it's this active, predatory, uh, anti-creation element in the world. It's personal. It's—it's—it's it's, it's active. But then in Leviticus, sin is also presented as contaminating. It's presented as like disease. That's why there's so much emphasis on clean versus unclean in Leviticus. Not saying that uncleanness is morally wrong, but it's saying that uncleanness is a powerful symbol of the effects of sin. Back in the, the time of Noah that we read in Genesis 6 through 9, the world had become, remember the text if you were there, if not, catch the video, the world had become, mankind had corrupted or polluted the earth with their sinfulness, with their wickedness. And so God sent the flood to cleanse the effects of sin from all of creation. So there's this element of sin that's it's both and. It's not either or. Throughout Scripture, it's active, it's personal, but it's also contaminating. It's also something that needs to be quarantined in a way, spiritually speaking. And all of these are just images. They're not, it's not, this is the end-all, be-all. Like, if I could just, you know, isolate and, and, and sequester myself away from sin, then that means I'm a moral upright person. No. It's, it's all painting a broad picture that God's trying to ingrain in his people over centuries of what reality is, morally, spiritually, ethically, socially. And so he started off Leviticus with, the, the, this is how you're going to use this tabernacle. These are the offerings and sacrifices. This is how it's going to work. This is how you're going to approach me. And it will not be without shed blood saw that from the very beginning. Without the shedding of blood, there's no approaching of God because blood symbolizes life. For us, it symbolizes death. But for them, it symbolizes life. It symbolizes entering into God's presence through uh, this transaction or this exchange that took place. And all of this is, as you see the Old Testament unfold, it's all pointing forward to what's going to be the ultimate and going to be the final real version of what this is just a shadow of. But we're in the shadow period right now. We're not in the real yet. And so the first three offerings. So the first one was the whole burnt offering. It was given completely to the Lord. It was entirely burnt up to the Lord. Uh, none of it was eaten. None of it was used as a celebratory meal. The second offering was the grain offering, the cereal offering. It was an offering of the different types of grains that could be given as a celebratory meal that the priest and the worshiper would participate in. And God would participate in by a token portion being offered up to him on the altar. The third one last week was the peace offering or the fellowship offering. So that was the, 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 that was the Thanksgiving, Hebrew Thanksgiving. It was like we were giving thanks to God and we're going to celebrate with a meal. So that was getting around and it was, you know, uh, whatever the ancient Near East version of a butterball turkey was. Like you get around, <clears throat> you offer this animal to the Lord, a, a, a token portion. Again, not the full one, not the full burnt offering. Token portions offered to the Lord. The rest is eaten by the priest, by the worshiper, by their family. So the first three offerings, <clears throat> first three sacrifices in Leviticus are all voluntary. And they're all thanksgiving, celebratory in nature. That, that's what separates them from these next two that we're going to look at this week and next week. These were voluntary. So Leviticus begins with celebration. It begins with, with, with enjoying God's presence. It's not a burden. It's not something that they were that, you know, just grudgingly doing. This is something that they were invited to do. And this is the way that they as a community celebrated their redemption from slavery to Pharaoh into the worship and the service of God. 
Now we come to Leviticus 4 to the first of the two offerings that is not voluntary or, or, or optional. This is the first offering. This, this one is called um, either the sin offering or the purification offering. In Hebrew, it's just the word sin. I mean, it's not even the sin offering. It's just the sin. And it's shorthand for the sin offering. It's, it's just, that, that word has two meanings. When you see the word sin in your Hebrew Bible, it can either mean sin or sin offering. And the context tells you which. But it's, it, I, I, I think it should be qualified. So some people say it's the purification offering. Because what it does, what this offering does, is what we typically think about when we think of Old Testament sacrifices. This offering is put forth as purifying or, or, or restoring the, the contamination or the, the impurity of sin. That's why some call it the purification offering. However, sin offering is a fine enough term for it. I think it should be called, because we'll see in a minute, the unintentional sin offering. Because this is a very important point. This offering was for unintentional sins, all right? This is not you stab somebody, you go make an offering, everything's good. This is the unintentional sin offering. Listen to what it says, chapter 4. The Lord said to Moses, say to the Israelites, when anyone sins unintentionally and does what is forbidden in any of the Lord's commands, dot, dot, dot. All right, so this whole section, all of this chapter and half of the next chapter is devoted to this clause. If anyone does this. Now there's going to be different ways that this is handled. Alright? If you're the high priest, it's handled one way. If you're the leader, or excuse me, if it's the whole congregation, like everyone together is collectively guilty, it's handled a different way. If you're the leader of your chief, or chief of your clan or your tribe, in a different way and if you're just an everyday person. So there's there's different gradations to how this is handled. So the first one, verses 3 through 12. If the anointed priest sins, bringing guilt on the people, he must bring to the Lord a young bull without defect as a sin offering for the sin he has committed. Anointed priest sins, a young bull is brought. It's the most valuable of the animals, a young male cattle, a young bull, right, without defect. He's to present the bull at the entrance to the tent of meeting before the Lord. He's to lay his hand on its head and slaughter it before the Lord. Then the anointed priest shall take some of the bull's blood, carry it into the tent of meeting. He's to dip his finger into the blood and sprinkle some of it seven times before the Lord in front of the curtain of the sanctuary. All right, here's the setup. You have the whole tabernacle, and then we use this here, right? Outer courts. This is the chocolate, outer chocolatey court here, right? <laughs> this is the inner tabernacle, okay? This is where the good stuff is. No, um, this is separated from this. So all of this is the tent, the tent of meeting, right? All of this, you guys are sitting in the courtyard. This is the tent, and within the tent, there's this part. This is where the bread, the offering of the bread of the presence, and the candelabra, the menorah, the light is, and the altar that you put the incense on. It, we read about in Exodus at the end that burns, that, you, that, that uh, fills the place with smoke and fills it with uh, aroma and everything like that. Then there's a curtain. And this curtain is woven with cherubim. 
This is representative of that block that God put in the Garden of Eden to keep humanity out from his presence after they sinned. After sin entered into creation, into the human atmosphere, God put a cherubim blocking the way to Eden. Well, that's what this is symbolic of, this curtain with these woven cherubim all in it. We read about it in Exodus. Then inside that, this is the Holy of Holies. This is where the, tower, the Ark of the Covenant is. Remember Indiana Jones, take the cover off, your face is melt. That's what's in here, okay? So if the high priest sins, he brings the animal to the entrance to the tent, sacrifices, slaughters the animal, takes some of the blood into right where the curtain is, takes his hand, sprinkles the blood on the incense altar in front of the presence of the Lord. He's taking the blood into, all right, the high priest sinned, Blood's taken into the tabernacle, into right up to God's presence. All right, this is how the priest is to deal with the priest, the high priest sin, which brings guilt on all the people. The priests and the people are intimately linked. It's not like, well, I didn't vote for this priest, so whatever he does, it's his problem. No, no, no. It's all, we're all in the same boat here if you're in ancient Israel. So the priest shall then put some of the blood, after he does that, the priest shall then put some of the blood on the horns of the altar of fragrant incense, that's in here, that's before the Lord in the tent of meeting. The rest of the bull's blood he shall pour out at the base of the altar of burnt offering, that's out here, the big altar where they burn everything, at the entrance of the tent of meeting. He shall remove all the fat from the bull of the sin offering, the fat that covers the inner part or is connected to them, both kidneys with the fat on them near the loins and the covering of the liver, which he will remove with the kidneys and the fat on them near the excuse me, which he will remove with the kidneys, just as the fat is removed from the ox sacrifice as a fellowship offering. In other words, after he's sprinkled the blood, then he's going to treat the remains of the animal the way the previous uh, fellowship offering was, because atonement now has been made, so then the, the, the celebration of that reconciliation can take place. The, the, it, it's, it becomes basically like a fellowship offering, like a peace offering. The priest shall burn them on the altar of burnt offering, but the hide of the bull, all its flesh, as well as the head and the legs, the inner parts, and the offal, that is all the rest of the bull, everything but the blood and that particular parts of the fat, he must take outside the camp to a place ceremonially clean where the ashes are thrown and burn it in a wood fire on the ash heap. So the difference between this and a normal fellowship offering is this offering, instead of after pouring the blood out and then eating the meat, this, all of the meat and all of the hide and everything is taken outside the camp and completely destroyed and burned up outside the camp. The priest does not get to, and the priests do not get to eat or partake of the sacrifice for the high priest's sins. In other words, the priest is not getting rich off his own sin. He's not getting fed off of his own sin. He is the representative between holy God, sinful Israel. So when that representative himself is guilty of sin, then this is a particular thing that has to happen with the blood taken right up to the altar. And then all of it, instead of being celebrated as a joyous meal, taken outside the camp and burned. The writer of Hebrews would see in this imagery of Jesus going into the temple, speaking in the temple, doing his thing in the temple, being convicted in the temple, being tried in the temple, and then when he's put to death, being taken outside the city and put to death on Golgotha. A link in the mind of the author of Hebrews to of Jesus being this sin offering as well. <clears throat> then it goes on, verse 13. 
So that's if the high priest sins. If the whole Israelite community sins unintentionally and does what is forbidden in any of the Lord's commands, even though the community is unaware of the matter, they are guilty. In other words, there is, there is communal guilt. We don't have this concept in our minds today, but is very much a part of everyday life in the ancient Near East. If someone in your family did something, your family is guilty. They brought guilt and shame upon the group because you didn't, nobody was an island. Nobody existed by themselves. You existed as part of a community. So if the community did something, even if you didn't know what happened in the objective realm of, of, of this picture God's painting of sin and guilt, then in that sense, you are part of the guilty community. This is why in the book of Daniel, think about Daniel later. Daniel, when they're in exile in Babylon, Daniel's a pillar of righteousness. I mean, he is like the, the perfect example of holiness. Daniel never, that we know of, in, in the book at least, is, is said to have committed any sin or done anything wrong. But when he goes to confess before God, he confesses his sin, even though he hasn't sinned, because he is part of the nation of Israel who has sinned and been taken into exile. So it's this communal aspect. If the whole community sins and you're part of that community, then you've sinned, even though you didn't particularly do it. In the collective sense, you share in that guilt. So this is what happens. When they become aware of the sin they committed, the assembly must bring a young bull as a sin offering and present it before the tent of meeting. It's the same offering. It's the same thing that the high priest brings. The high priest brings a young bull for his sin. The whole community brings a young bull for their sin. The elders of the community, not the high priest this time, but the elders of the community are to lay their hands on the bull's head before the Lord, and the bull should be slaughtered before the Lord. Then the anointed priest is to take some of the bull's blood into the tent of meeting. He should dip his finger into the blood, sprinkle it before the Lord seven times in front of the curtain. He is to put some of the blood on the horns of the altar. It's before the Lord in the tent of meeting, in other words, the incense altar. The rest of the blood he shall pour out at the base of the altar, a burnt offering at the entrance of the tent of meeting, outside. He shall remove all the fat from it, burn it on the altar, and do with this bull just as he did with the bull for the sin offering. In this way, the priest will make atonement for them, and they will be forgiven. Then he shall take the bull outside the camp and burn it as he burned the first bull. This is the sin offering for the community. It's the same thing. It's the same exact procedure. The, priest, the high priest's sin is treated and atoned for the same way as the people as a whole. Because in, 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 in God's economy, what's going on, what he called Israel to be is a kingdom of priests. He called Israel to be in relationship to the world what the high priest was in relationship to Israel. So there's, there's this, this, this implicit theology of communal uh, priesthood in this. Israel is to the rest of the world and the people of Israel collectively represent the nations before God. Their whole purpose of being called as a people was to, all the way back to Genesis 12, through your offspring, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. So Israel's role is to be the high priest of the world. So when Israel sins collectively as a people, it's the same ritual that's done when the high priest sins. That's a really important point that can get missed or glossed over in just reading through all these 
rituals, but it's it's the remember it's not the particular like why is he sprinkled the blood seven times? Is that symbolizing recreation, seven days and blood and maybe, but that's the forest for the trees kind of thing. What's going on is a lot bigger than that. Is that that, that the way that God deals with Israel as a people and the way He deals with the high priest as a person is the same in regards to sin. And so, anyway, let's move on because there's a lot more before we're done. <clears throat> That's it, the, those two. Now, the second, or the third one. When a leader, or a chief, or a, or a prince, some translations, it's, it's just the word, it can mean all of those, it's just leader. It's a good translation. When a leader sins unintentionally and does what's forbidden in any of the commands of the Lord his God, he is guilty. When he's made aware of the sin he committed, he must bring his off as his offering a male goat without defect. So not a, not a bull now, not the most expensive thing. This is a lesser value animal. Male goat along the flock, this is the highest, but it's not like you, you have herds and you have flocks. Herd animals are more valuable than flock animals and they're more expensive. And so this is like the best from the flock, from the herd. So there's a lesser in terms of the impact of the sin because his office is less important in the symbolic theological realm than the high priest or the people as a whole. So there's a gradation of responsibility. We're moving down the ladder, down the chain. So he's to bring a male goat. He's to lay his hand on the goat's head, slaughter it at the place where the burnt offering is slaughtered before the Lord. It is a sin offering. Then the priest shall take some of the blood of the sin offering with his finger and put it on the horns of the altar of burnt offering. That's the one out here, not inside. That doesn't happen when a leader. That's only for the high priest and the nation. Just a leader of the people put the blood on the altar outside. Then the priest shall take and pour out the rest of the blood at the base of the altar. He shall burn all the fat on the altar as he burned the fat of the fellowship offering. In this way, the priest will make atonement for the man's sin and he will be forgiven. So this is for a leader, uh, somebody of a, of a position in Israelite society, this is what they would do to atone for their sins when they sin unintentionally and are made aware of it. Now you may ask, well, what does sinning unintentionally mean? How, what's an example? Well, it's going to give some examples in just a minute. But it's working through the gradation of the offerings or the sacrifices <clears throat> moving outward. Verse 27, if a member of the community or literally, I think it says a person of the land, or just anybody, any of us. This is Now we've gotten down to the bottom of, of the ladder in terms of responsibility. If a member of the community sins unintentionally and does what's forbidden in any of the Lord's commands, he's guilty. When he's made aware of the sin he committed, he must bring as his offering for the sin he committed a female goat without defect. So not a male goat, but a female goat. Not quite as valuable, not because women are less valuable than men, but because in agricultural terms, the, there's more females to go around and the male is more needed in terms of impregnating them. If you've been on a farm, you um, <laughs> When he's made aware of the sin he committed, he brings offering a female goat without defect. He's to lay his hand on the head of the sin offering and slaughter it at the place of the burnt offering. Then the priest is to take some of the blood with his finger, put it on the horns of the altar of burnt offering. It's the altar outside. Pour out the rest of the blood at the base of the altar. Remove all the fat, just as the fat's removed from the fellowship offering, and the priest shall burn it on the altar as an aroma pleasing to the Lord. In this way, the priest will make atonement for him, and he will be forgiven. So, in these cases, individual Israelites and the leaders of individual Israelites, in their cases of sin offerings, the hide, the flesh, and everything's not taken and burned outside the camp. 
it's actually just the fat portions burned on the offering, meaning that the rest can be eaten by the priests and by others because it now has become a fellowship offering since the ritual with the blood has been done. So it's turning this, this what's, what's a, a grave or, or a state of guilt and, and unrighteousness is turned into, through this atoning blood, is turned into a, a source of celebration. It's turned into a fellowship offering, basically. And, and the, the meat can be eaten and the parts used and all that kind of stuff. So this is, this is how it would work in the economy of God when somebody's made aware of sins that they commit. Verse 32. <clears throat> that's, if he bring, that's used to bring a female goat. However, what if he can't bring a female goat? If he brings a lamb as his sin offering, he's to bring a female without defect. So he can bring a female lamb instead of a female goat. He's to lay his head on its head and hand on his head and slaughter it for a sin offering at the place where the burnt offering is slaughtered. Then the priest will take some of the blood of the sin offering with his finger, put on the horns of the altar of the burnt offering, and pour out the rest of the blood at the base of the altar. Then he shall remove the fat, just as fat's removed from the lamb of the fellowship offering, and the priest shall burn on the altar on top of the offerings made to the Lord by fire. In this way, the priest will make atonement for him for the sin he has committed, and he will be forgiven. So these are the ways that when you sinned unintentionally, when you broke the commandments of God, even not even meaning to, you just did it by accident. God's built in to the system of the sacrifices and the priesthood ways for that unintentional polluted state that you brought about through your actions or through neglecting to do what you should have done, God's made, already made a way for that to be forgiven and turned into fellowship, turned into peace. And the sin offering provides a way for there to be a peace offering. It provides a way to enter into God's presence. Now, what, what type of sins would this be? Well, chapter 5, verse 1. If a person sins because he does not speak up when he hears a public charge to testify regarding something he has seen or learned about, he will be held responsible. So in the ancient world, if there was, if there was a, a crime that was committed, let's say we're all, you know, this is a community, and somebody commits a crime, somebody steals something, and some people in here may or may not have seen it, well, a person would go through, an official would go through and call out, hey, a crime has been committed, does anyone know about it? Has anyone seen this happen? Are there any witnesses to this? And this would be the chance for witnesses to come forward and testify. Now, in the other cultures of the ancient world, Mesopotamia, the Egyptian culture, I think uh, Syrian culture, they actually have Proverbs, wisdom, writing, literature. Their version, their, their wisdom literature specifically says things like, hey, if you see something, don't testify. Don't get involved, because it's just going to bring trouble on you. I mean, there's, there's actual writings that that's, a, that's just a general wisdom in the ancient world was snitches get stitches, right? If you see something, don't say anything. That was the way of the world, the way of the world today. Israel was diametrically opposed to that. God himself said, no, in my society, in this culture, in my covenant people, if you see something happen that is wrong and it's, you're given a chance, hey, we need witnesses to say what they saw, and you don't, then you become guilty. So this was, this was a very sharp turn from the modern or the common wisdom of the world at that time. 
So that's one of the ways that you can see, you know, I didn't mean to sin, but I didn't want to say anything because I was worried about my family or my reputation or whatever. All right, so this is one example of what type of thing might be atoned for through these sin offerings. Or, verse 2, if a person touches anything ceremonially unclean, whether the carcass of unclean wild animals or of unclean livestock or of unclean creatures that move on the ground, there's the three types of animals that Genesis categorized. Even though he is unaware of it, he's become unclean and is guilty. So uncleanness, ceremonial uncleanness, if it's made aware of it, if you're made aware that you touch something unclean, then you become guilty. And that's something later in Leviticus that will talk more about, I think, in chapter 11. But it, it's, it's like if you, it, let's say this was unclean by Levitical standards. Let's say this was like shrimp or pork or something. But I thought it was kosher beef. So I eat it. No big deal. Nothing's going on. If I never learned the truth about that, I'm not guilty. Technically, ceremonially unclean, but I don't know about it. And nobody knows, you know, only God knows about it. I'm not guilty. But as soon as I learn, if somebody says, hey, by the way, there was pork in that, then I become guilty in terms of needing to make a sin offering. I realize my uncleanness, and then if I don't do the sin offering, then I have violated God's law because I knowingly remained in a state of uncleanness. So it's not the clean or unclean thing that determines moral guilt. It's how they respond to it. It's how they respond to it. It's the mindset. Remember, God is more concerned with the heart. Jesus said it's not what goes into the mouth that defiles. It's what comes out of the mouth that defiles. It's always been a heart condition that God wants to fix. So this is that's another thing that you could accidentally do and make you'd make a sin offering for. Or, verse 3, if he touches human uncleanness, anything that would make him clean. And Leviticus is going to go into all kinds of detail about human uncleanness. So just get ready when we get to those chapters. If you're squeamish. You're ready to blush. Um, if he touches human uncleanness, anything that make him unclean, even though he's unaware of it, when he learns of it, when he learns of it, he will be guilty. Key concept there. When he learns of it, he'll be guilty. Uh, the last one. If a person thoughtlessly takes an oath to do anything, whether good or evil, and that's just a figure of speech, which means anything at all. It's using opposites to show totality. In any matter one might carelessly swear about, even though he's unaware of it, in any case, when he learns of it, he will be guilty. So that's another way you can inadvertently, uh, the book of Judges, Jephthah does this exact thing. He makes this careless vow, and, uh, and it has tragic consequences. We're going to get into, okay, next week we'll look at, so these are the ways that you, okay, I've sinned uh, unintentionally. This is how I respond. What if I can't afford a lamb? What if I can't afford a male goat? What do I do then? Well, God's already built that into the system as well. So we're going to look at that next week when we're out of time. So have a great week at work. Uh, if you want to help us out, we're raising some money for Levine's Children's Cancer Research. Come over here and talk to me. Otherwise, there's seconds here if you want them. Have a great week.